Good evening, mourners. I'm sorry I forgot to upload us the part two yesterday. <laughs> we had a whole lot of fun Halloween stuff happen, and um, I just forgot. <laughs> we uh, we went to a pumpkin patch in the morning, which was super fun. They had like um, a hayride and a maze that was actually really good. Like it was the first maze that I have ever gotten lost in. That was actually legitimately hard to get out of uh the corn was so tall you couldn't see over it and that was a first for me too like i'm only five two and a half but most of the corn mazes i've been to are cut so short i can kind of jump and see over them so this was super fun like it took a while um the kids that we took got out much faster than we did <laughs> they figured out the trick and uh i won't say what it is um in case you know anybody goes but that was out at Life Saves Pumpkin Patch, and it was so much fun. So if you're local, you should go. Um, and then what did we do? Oh, yeah, we came back and we carved the pumpkins that we got from the pumpkin patch. Oh, and we got apples there, too, so I'm going to learn to can. I'm really excited about that. Um, Catherine's going to teach me to can. Uh, what was I saying? I forgot. <laughs> anyway. It was fun. Oh, yeah, we carved our pumpkins, and then we watched uh, the original Friday the 13th, the 1980 version, and uh, sat with our pumpkins watching us, and it was just super freaking fun. And I got caught up, and by the time we were done, I just wanted to go to bed. So, <clears throat> now I am back, and I will give you part two of And No Bird Sings by E.F. Benson. Our plans, therefore, were very simple. We were going to tramp through the wood as one walks up partridges in a field of turnips, each with a shotgun and a supply of cartridges. I cannot say that I looked forward to the expedition, for I hated the thought of getting into closer quarters with that mysterious denizen of the woods. But there was a certain excitement about it, sufficient to keep me awake a long time, and when I got to sleep, to cause very vivid and awful dreams. The morning failed to fulfill the promise of the clear sunset. The sky was lowering and cloudy, and a fine rain was falling. Daisy had shopping errands which took her into a little town, and as soon as she had set off, we started on our business. The yellow retriever, mad with joy at the sight of guns, came bounding with us across the garden, but on our entering the wood, he slung back home again. The wood was roughly circular in shape, with a diameter perhaps of half a mile. In the center, as I have said, there was an open clearing about a quarter of a mile across, which was thus supported by a belt of thick trees and a copse a couple of hard hundred yards in breadth. Our plan was first to walk together up the path which led through the wood with all possible stealth, hoping to hear some movement on the part of what we had come to seek. Failing that, we had settled to tramp through the woods at the distance of some fifty yards from each other in a circular track. Two or three of these circuits would cover the whole ground pretty thoroughly. Of the nature of our quarry, whether it would try to steal away from us or possibly attack, we had no idea. It seemed, however, yesterday to have avoided us. Rain had been falling steadily for an hour when we entered the wood. It hissed a little in the treetops overhead but so thick was the cover that the ground below was still not more than damp. It was a dark morning outside. Here you would say that the sun had already set and that night was falling. Very quickly we moved up the grassy path, 
where our footfalls were noiseless, and once we caught a whiff of that odor of live corruption. But though we stayed and listened, not a sound of anything stirred except the sibilant rain over our heads. We went across the clearing and through to the far gate, and still there was no sign. We'll be getting into the trees then, said Hugh. We had better start where we got that whiff of it. We went back to the place, which was towards the middle of the encompassing trees. The odor still lingered on the windless air. Go on about fifty yards, he said, and then we'll go in. If either of us comes on the track of it, we'll shout to each other. I walked on down the path till I had gone the right distance, signaled to him, and then we stepped in among the trees. I have never known the sensation of such utter loneliness. I knew that he was walking parallel with me, only fifty yards away, and if I hung on to my step, I could faintly hear his tread among the beech leaves. But I felt as if I was quite sundered in this dim place from all companionship of man. The only live thing that lurked here was that monstrous, mysterious creature of evil. So thick were the trees that I could not see more than a dozen yards in any direction. All places outside the wood seemed infinitely more remote, and infinitely remote also everything that had occurred to me in normal human life. I had been whisked out of all wholesome experiences into this antique and evil place. The rain had ceased. It whispered no longer in the treetops, testifying that there did exist a world and a sky outside, and only a few drops from above pattered on the beech leaves. Suddenly I heard the report of Hugh's gun, followed by his shouting voice. I missed it, he shouted. It's coming in your direction. I heard him running towards me, the beech leaves rustling, and no doubt his footsteps drowned a stealthier noise that was close to me. All that happened now, until once more I heard the report of Hugh's gun, happened, I suppose, in less than a minute. If it had taken much longer, I do not imagine I shall be telling it today. I stood there then, having heard Hugh's shout with my gun cocked and ready to put to my shoulder, and I listened to his running footsteps, but still I saw nothing, nothing to shoot at, and I heard nothing. Then between two beech trees, quite close to me, I saw what I can only describe as a ball of darkness. It rolled very swiftly toward me over the few yards that separated me from it, and then, too late, I heard the dead beech leaves rustling below it. Just before it reached me, my brain realized what it was or what it might be, but before I could raise my gun to shoot at the nothingness, it was upon me. My gun was twitched out of my hand, and I was enveloped in this blackness, which was the very essence of corruption. It knocked me off my feet, and I sprawled flat on my back, and upon me, as I lay there, I felt the weight of this invisible assailant. I groped wildly with my hands, and they clutched something cold and slimy and hairy. They slipped off it, and next moment there was laid across my shoulder and neck something which felt like an India rubber tube. The end of it fastened onto my neck like a snake, and I felt the skin rise beneath it. Again, with clutching hands, I tried to tear that obscene strength away from me, and as I struggled with it, I heard Hugh's footsteps close to me through this layer of darkness that hid everything. My mouth was free, and I shouted to him. Here! Here! I yelled. Close to you, where it's darkest! I felt his hands on mine, and that added strength detached from my neck that sucker pulled at it. 
The coil that lay heavy on my legs and chest writhed and struggled and relaxed. Whatever it was that our four hands held slipped out of them, and I saw Hugh standing close to me. A yard or two off, vanishing among the beech trees, was that blackness which had poured over me. Hugh put up his gun, and with his second barrel, fired at it. The blackness dispersed, and there, wriggling and twisting like a huge worm, lay what we had come to find. It was alive still, and I picked up my gun, which lay by my side, and fired two more barrels into it. The writhings dwindled into mere shudderings and shakings, and then it lay still. With Hugh's help, I got to my feet, and we both reloaded before going nearer. On the ground, there lay a monstrous thing, half slug, half worm. There was no head to it. It ended in a blunt point with an orifice. Its color was gray, covered with sparse black hairs. Its length, I suppose, was some four feet. Its thickness at the broadest part was that of a man's thigh, tapering toward each end. It was shattered by shot at its middle. There were stray pellets which had hit it elsewhere and from the holes they had made there oozed not blood but some gray viscous matter. As we stood there, some swift process of disintegration and decay began. It lost outline, it melted, it liquefied, and in a minute more we were looking at a mass of stained and coagulated beech leaves. Again and quickly that liquor of corruption faded, and there lay at our feet no trace of what had been there. The overpowering odor passed away, and there came from the ground just the sweet savor of wet earth in springtime, and from above the glint of a sunbeam piercing the clouds. Then a sudden pattering among the dead leaves sent my heart into my mouth again, and I cocked my gun. But it was only Hugh's yellow retriever who had joined us. We looked at each other. You're not hurt, he said. I held my chin up. Not a bit, I said. The skin's not broken, is it? No, only a round red mark. My God, what was it? What happened? Your turn first, said I. Begin at the beginning. I came upon it quite suddenly, he said. It was lying coiled like a sleeping dog behind a big beach. Before I could fire, it slithered off in the direction where I knew you were. I got a snapshot at it among the trees, but I must have missed, for I heard it rustling away. I shouted to you, and I ran after it. There was a circle of absolute darkness on the ground, and your voice came from the middle of it. I couldn't see you at all, but I clutched at the blackness, and my hands met yours. They met something else, too. We got back to the house and had put the guns away before Daisy came home from her shopping. We had also scrubbed and brushed and walked. She came into the smoking room. You lazy folk, she said. It is cleared up, and why are you still indoors? Let's go out at once. I got up. Hugh has told me you've got a dislike of the wood, I said, and it's a lovely wood. Come and see. He and I will walk on each side of you and hold your hands. The dogs will protect you as well. But not one of them will go a yard into the wood, she said. Oh, yes, they will, and at least we'll try them. You must promise to come if they do. Hugh whistled them up, and down we went to the gate. They sat panting for it to be opened and scuttled into the thickets in pursuit of interesting smells. And who says there are no birds in it, said Daisy. Look at that robin, with her two of them, evidently house hunting. I hope you liked the little tale, and I hope you have a very pleasant night. Sweet dreams. 
The Morning Report is hosted by Crystal Orpi and Lillian Fournier. Produced by Crystal Orpi. Production assistance from Leo Orpi, Eric Ostendorf, Jennifer Self, and Mary Dempsey. Original music by Elizabeth Trim. Logo artwork by Adam Conklin. Cover artwork by Eric Wright. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Morning Report. <laughs>